Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jeff Trenopol. And as always, I'm bringing you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of Jackpot Joey Burrow and the Bengals and the Reds. They lost today. I'm not talking about them today. Let's talk some Bengals football. We are a little over a week from all of us getting together for the first gathering of Bengal fans at full capacity training camp next Saturday. I cannot wait. Now, do me a favor. If you found the show, hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. I'm up to 1,242 subscribers. That is awesome. I appreciate every single one of you guys. And as always, we're doing Super Chats in the YouTube channel. So if you guys like to support what I'm doing, give me a Super Chat. And I would greatly appreciate it. Now, this show and every show is brought to you by T-Properties. T-Properties, quality housing for quality people. Check out their website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. All right, guys, like I said, we're going to talk some football today. We're getting closer and closer to it officially being Bengals season. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot wait. I know ESPN came out with their rankings of the Bengals. And then PFF came out with their rankings and broke down different groups with the Bengals and all that stuff. And to get the best information, I got to go to my main man from Pro Football Focus, none other than Evan McPhillips. Evan, what's going on, brother? How we doing, man? Good, 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 good. I, uh, I, uh, I'm glad you made the show. I, you uh, got in that... Uh, I'm, uh, for everybody who doesn't know here or doesn't live here in Cincinnati, Ohio, President Biden is uh, making a visit today, and I'm assuming that's the traffic you, you got stuck in, or was it a semi-truck yeah, or what were, was it, man? There were cruisers all over the place, man, and uh, they were just going 25 miles an hour, coasting right up to my exit, and I was like, oh, man, just please let me get there. And then about 50 feet short of the exit, they set up shop, man, and right <laughs> off of uh, Kilby, man, and we were sitting there for a solid hour. Oh, yeah, I mean, not even moving. I mean, people were outside of their cars. I was debating whether to get the basketball out of the trunk and just dribble <laughs> around. You know, I, I was bored just sitting there for so long, man. I'm jamming to some Led Zeppelin. Like, I didn't know what to do with myself. So, did, did I'm glad I made it. Didn't you go to the police officer and say, hey, look, I'm Evan Phillips. I'm from PFF. I have to get on Sports or Strawberry Ice and show at 530. Can you give me a police yeah. escort? No, they, I'm sure if I would have <laughs> dropped your name, then they definitely would have let me by. I didn't occur. That didn't occur to me. I was thinking I'm nobody. They're going to just put me on the ground real quick and think I'm trying to go meet Joe or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Totally, totally, totally. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you made it, man. And uh, let's get into some of the uh, some of the stuff that uh, Pro Football Focus has uh, gone as far as rankings with the Bengals. We can start discussing that there with the uh, season coming uh, the first one I brought up here is the wide receivers. They got the Cincinnati Bengals ranked third, or excuse me, 13th. And this is the Bengals' core wide receivers, being the big three, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. So what is your thoughts on this? So to start, uh, I know 13 may seem very low, and there's definitely an argument for that. And I just want to point out, firstly, this is receiving core, including tight end. So guys like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, these guys are factored in and treated, especially as receivers, especially guys like Travis Kelsey, who actually, when you look at their snaps, play more receiver than they do inline tight end. So right. um, that's factored in. And with the Bengals having solid but 
a rotational kind of group there at tight end with some injuries and some unproven factors there. Drew Samples coming along, but still has more to prove. Um, that does weigh them down a little bit. I think if you're looking just at wide receivers, then it would be really hard to keep them out of the top eight or so. Um, and a lot of that is you could go even higher arguing, you know, give or take three spots uh, between 10 and five or what have you, based on how much of a projection you anticipate Jamar Chase, whether he comes in, hits the ground running, whether T. Higgins continues to dominate like he did. And there are some stats right there that uh, I see Jeff is highlighting on the screen. It's the, the connection between Jace and Joe, or Chase and Joe Burrow. We've, we've talked about how special it is, and there's no reason to think that he cannot hit the ground running that way. Exactly. And then you got uh, T. Higgins, uh, his receiving uh, grade last year among rookies is 79.0. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive catch radius, making him a mis, mis, uh, mismatch threat as the depth chart gets stronger. However, Chase and Higgins take the pressure off Boyd, who has become one of the league's most dependable wide receivers. Now, I think Boyd is a very underrated wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, they got him, I think, here with a 72.0. And for the last, uh, it's be- he's got better each of the last three seasons. He'll continue to work out of the slot where his 793 yards were the third highest in the NFL in 2020. I really do think Tyler Boyd gets, doesn't get the pub that, you know, as for what a good wide receiver he actually, he actually is, you know, because he's right. been the man the last three years, to be honest. Oh, yeah. He's been great. And that's the thing is he's played with, Sort of, he's almost had the the DeAndre Hopkins treatment, where he's had some some quarterbacks coming in and out between Dalton, Finley, Burrow, back to Finley. Even Brandon Allen got in there for a little bit. So it's he's been doing well and consistently with all of these different quarterbacks. Been a safety blanket for them because, like we said, the tight ends, while solid, are a little bit unproven or are just around that average to where Boyd has really been that underneath safety blanket that all these quarterbacks have been able to find and rely on. And his route running there is really spectacular. And though he may not have the most exceptional athletic numbers, he definitely makes every bit count on his routes and every step. And the nuance of it is really impressive. And so he's definitely been one of the better slot receivers. And I think he's also like got the, I want to say the most slot receptions of 20 plus yards over the last two or three seasons too. So he's been effective down the field as much as he has underneath as well. Yeah, I'll get to a little bit here. It says uh, uh, you guys got rid about the tight ends. And I know a lot of Bengals fans are concerned about the tight end uh, core this year. You know, with uh, uh, CJ Uzama coming back from, you know, uh, Achilles uh, surgery. And then Drew Sample was what Drew Sample is. And you got, which you don't even have, they don't have listed on here, which there's no data for it really, but uh, Thaddeus Moss going on here. But they got him ranked, uh, let's see here, uh, 51.1. And 29th in the league for Drew Sample. Uh, let's see here. Sample lead the way with 40 catches and just 349 yards, 8.7 yards per reception a year ago. And to so, be fair to Sample real quick, too, we knew coming out that blocking was his specialty. He was very limited in what he was asked to do as a receiver coming out of college. And that the receiving game was going to be a uh, bit of a project, and he would come along in that regard. So – Seeing him with that 51.1 receiving grade, a little 
obviously we, we kind of want more projection. We want a little more upward trajectory there, but that's to be expected that that's going to take time on top of the fact that tight end is one of the positions that usually takes at least a year or two before they hit the ground running. His blocking grade did improve uh, this last season, though, and I want to say it ranked top 15 among tight ends as well. So it was nice to see him get back to his roots and at least be a very effective blocker. Exactly. Now, I know you have some uh, other stats that you had uh, queued up. I had other stuff queued up, which I still have it queued up. But right now, my cursor is spinning <laughs> and it won't let me click on anything else. So if you got some uh, so you will get with some of the information that you said you had uh, ready to go for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we were talking a little bit uh, before we jumped on here and a little bit on Twitter, just back and forth about what you wanted to discuss. I know we talked about. What do the projections for the Bengals look like as a whole here? So when you look at, obviously, I, I like to borrow the Jake Lisko way of thinking of the range of outcomes, right? Because it's it's very definitive to say, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. There's, there's more likely a range of outcomes, right? And it's in a bell curve to where we've got the curve in the middle with the large uh, distribution right there right, of right. outcomes with some outliers. So looking at the outliers real quick, we know – Vegas, I think the over-under is set at six and a half right now. So that's where they're like, okay, are the Bengals going to win six time, uh, six games, seven games? What are you thinking that's going to be the kind of line where they see them, or at least the public sees them? Um, looking at the bottom 10%, as in the season goes horribly, these are the bottom 10% of outcomes that you could generally expect, according to our model or projections. Um, that's five and 12. That's right. one game below really what Vegas is kind of anticipating and kind of putting that number at. So if you're thinking about that as the goalpost there, what they think in that six to six and a half game range, the bottom percentile outcome, according to the model is almost right there. Right. It's, it's right. a game difference, which a game, one game in a 17 game si uh, season is, is a big deal. But at the same time, if your bottom 10% outcomes where everything goes wrong still gets you just short of what the national media is expecting, then we're really expecting that the Bengals can really surprise some people this year mm -hmm. to where if you look at the other end of the spectrum, let's say uh, Carmen comes in and plays like an average level NFL guard as a rookie. Uh, we get Riley Reef in here. He continues to not allow sacks or tremendous amounts of pressures and be a solid NFL tackle like he was in Minnesota. Then you're going to have the opportunity with a healthy Joe Burrow to be one of the best offenses in the league. And that 10th percentile, or sorry, the 90th percentile outcome, that top 10%, when everything comes together, we got the Bengals closer to 10 and 7. So there's a lot of, of wiggle room there on the positive side if you're looking at the Vegas win total of six and a half as sort of your, your baseline that you're going for. So overall, you would say the projections that PFF has for the Bengals as a whole, we expect them to exceed Vegas's expectations. So if you're into betting, then the over six and a half may be something you want to put some money on, especially if you want to get another reason to get even more behind your home time bangles, really put your money where your mouth is. I know I'll probably be placing a couple bets with that regard. Exactly. The season two, but it's, it's definitely a large range of outcomes falls in what I think the national media and people would consider as a positive or successful season for the Bengals in the sense that they win more than they are generally expected to by the betting public or by the national outside media. Exactly. And I'm having all kinds of problems here with my camera. So I had a, <laughs> so we got a fa face up look. Now, one thing I've talked about, you, you brought the, the betting odds 
for the Bengals. It's at six and a half for Vegas. Dude, I'm taking that all day long. I've said that on the show a couple of times. I'm going to, I'm going to place a bet on that one. I, I, I don't see any reason why the Bengals can't win. I mean, they've got to win seven games, you know, six, you know, six and a half. You got to win seven games. I mean, I have, I mean, my orange sunglasses prediction is, you know, um, what I have. Oh, I have 11 wins, which is, I know it's huge. It's a big, I mean, big that's game. almost the 90th percentile outcome, which I right. mean, yeah, you're looking at the higher side, but it's not unrealistic. Yeah, it's, and it's not it, like it's a doable. One or two percent chance. It's definitely right. realistic. But but if if you want to go more for, a, I think a solid bet is taking the Bengals <laughs> at six and a half because I I don't see, I just don't I cannot see unless Joe Burrow, God forbid Joe Burrow gets hurt again, mm-hmm. I don't see how in the world we can't win at least right. seven games this year. I mean, I really do I think realistically, I think we're more nine ten wins. I mean, like I said, my orange sunglasses is eleven wins, but <laughs> I, I I just think talent wise if you look at the Bengals they have upgraded in every area the only the the one that I'm worried about is is depth and that's at the linebacking core to be honest and now with Adenogy getting injured I'm a little worried about the offensive line depth I'd like them to add a couple guys that, here and there for that but that's really it I mean PFF we'll just look at what you guys had for um I had that on here for uh the safeties uh for the Bengals this year the depth of the Safeties the Bengals had compared to what they had last year. I mean, we got in, you know, Ricardo Allen. I know that's 54, but I mean, hell, you got. I mean, is a third safety coming in and just kind of those nickel looks kind of filling in in that linebacker role, just kind of offering them a little more in run support? I mean, that's you're not relying on that guy to be a starter. Right. He's a rotational player. He can help on special teams. That's just a guy who knows, especially if a guy like Vaughn Bell goes down. Adding that secondary depth is really important because secondary play year to year is already inconsistent, and there's a lot of injuries to these guys that are these fast twitch guys that are constantly getting mixed up with these receivers and running full speed and all this different different stuff that they're coming down at weird angles after contesting balls. So it's very common for either defensive backs to have down years after having good ones and go up and down or to get injured. So having that depth, especially in that secondary position and corner is the same way where Mm -hmm. they have, maybe they haven't signed an elite Byron Jones or one of these top guys. They don't have a Jalen Ramsey or a Marlon Humphrey. What they do have is a lot of solid guys. And we're talking if two guys are having bad years or get injured, then you still feel the confident that you have the depth and you're not putting a guy like LaShawn Sims out there yes, who is exactly. just not ready. Exactly. That, that's where my confidence comes in to the season. It, it's and, and people get on the, I mean, the national media gets on the Bengals. Well, they didn't do enough in the offense line. There was a lot to do. <laughs> let's, be, let's be honest. There, there was a lot to do. And the defense, like I said, when and I give – Lou, a hard time all the time. I call him Armadillo. But <laughs> he took over a historically bad defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was nothing there. Pretty well. I mean, you had Gino, an aging Gino, mm-hmm. an aging Carlos Dunlap. And, I mean, they just drafted – I think I think Armadillo drafted Jesse Bates. I think he came in with him. But he was a rookie. So, and they right. didn't know he, Jesse Bates was going to turn into what Jesse Bates has turned into. But they, he didn't have anything there. So – and the offensive line, everybody gets on. They didn't do anything with for the offensive line. Well, I I beg to differ. They did because this offensive line is going to be almost completely revamped. I mean, if Trey Hopkins is ready for opening day, him and Jonah Williams are the only two starters left from opening day last year that started. Exactly. So they did do a lot. Did they do 
what everybody thought they should do or the national media thought they should do. No. I mean, but the thing is they needed more than one person. And exactly. you, can't, and you I, can't spend all your money in one place. Go ahead. I was going to just borrow a uh, real quick, a phrase from uh, one of my colleagues over at PFF, Austin Gale. Uh, he was just talking on his podcast, two for one drafts podcast, which everyone should go check out. Um, he said, talking about building an offensive line, complete, not elite. Yes. Have a complete offensive line, not an elite offensive line men. Because you look at guys like Joe Thomas, who was one of the Hall of Fame tackles, one of the best. Right. He was there. He was the best hands down for almost 10 years. But mm-hmm. what really good did it do them without quarterbacks who could throw the ball or wide receivers who could get open? And so exactly. you're looking at this kind of stuff and you're saying, we want to be good at all these spots. We don't need to be great or elite. We need to be capable. We need to be at least NFL average. And like you said, you've got Jonah coming back healthy and Trey Hopkins coming back healthy. If they're both good, they were quality. If you talk about right. the center rankings, I think Trey Hopkins was 17th for PFF, where he's been constantly solid, league average, good. That's You can't beat that at every spot in your offensive line. If you have that, you're rocking, you're rolling. like You're doing a great job. And you want to talk about what else they did. I mean, obviously, they're counting on health at a couple spots with Xavier Sufilo. Right. They've got Quentin Spain figuring out what they're going to do at that guard spot. But also, they added Jackson Carmen, which even if it's not – your guy, the guy you wanted, you can't argue that it's a player who is going to give them better than what they got out of previous iterations at that guard spot. Obviously, you've got Riley Reef coming in. Oh, he's not big and splashy. Well, the guy allowed one sack last year, period. He doesn't like, have to be. He's solid. You, you want to talk about, like, I know we want right. to talk about the, the value of sacks versus pressures, but like ultimately, sacks still do matter and yeah. pressures are just more predictive, but sacks do still matter. And the fact is it's been just an absolute turnstile on the right side of the line to where people could just walk up to the quarterback the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have at least someone you can say, I know his baseline level of play may be league average, but damn, am I happy to have league average, you know? <laughs> right. I know, uh, exactly. If you can get that and then you get uh, you end up replacing Jim Turner, who plenty of people who are oh. much smarter than me about the O-line have talked about how the technique he was teaching, the the favoritism he was showing, it just – it all – added and piled on to the extensive injuries that they had to where I think it was over 4,000 snaps that they had played by guys last season, not projected to start this year. That's tremendous. And so you can say they didn't make a lot of additions. They did a lot of changing. They did. And it's going to be different. And different is good in this scenario because it's been so bad previously. Right. And one of the big ones, and I I am not trying to hype this up too much, and you mentioned it, getting rid of, of Turner and adding Frank Pollock. Frank Pollock there's been lots of people who said he is right there on the edge of becoming an elite offensive line coach. So there, I mean, and you have Joe Mixon who is ecstatic that he came back. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a game changer right there. And one real quick two point that I, I like bringing up the 1988 offensive line. Yes. They had hall of famer, Anthony Munoz. Everybody else was not first round picks. Even Max Montoya was not a first-round pick who should be in the Hall of Fame, too. But still, you don't need first-round picks at every position on the offensive line to protect Joe Burrow. You need them all to stay healthy. You need them all to be on the same page and do their job. And I I know PFF isn't as high on Spain as I am. Mm-hmm. I really think Quentin Spain is going to be the, the starting guard o- along with um, – I keep forgetting our, the guy we just drafted him. Um, Jackson Carmen, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, that I, I think those are going to be our two two guards, and that makes mm-hmm. Sarfoli as your backup, which 
that's good. I, I mean, that 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 that's right. A good Again, thing, compared I, to a point of reference from what you've had, it's 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 a massive improvement because we're talking about like league worst guard play, not just bad. Like, I mean, not to pile on Michael Jordan. Obviously, he's he's worked really hard to improve, and he was probably asked to do things that he was not prepared to, and was being taught, like we said, bad technique to where it's not all on him. Right. Exactly. And we don't want to rag on players. But at the right. same time, the production is what it is. And that was the mm -hmm. past. But looking at the past, it was bad. It was near the bottom of the league. So even if Spain comes in and is average or slightly below average, it still represents a market improvement from what they had. Yeah. And he's on a one year prove it deal. Guys mm -hmm. step up and they, they, I mean, he's going to give you his, his best effort because he wants a contract next year. Not to mention, he came in in the middle of the season, was asked to play all over, and literally played the next, like almost the next day after he got in town. He played tackle. Right. That's a, and that's I the mean, thing. You've got guys playing, not just, oh, someone got hurt and we lost the continuity of our line. Now the right. guy between us don't have chemistry. Oh, you're playing right tackle one week, then you're playing right. guard the next week. Then I want you to flip to the other side of the line and play the other guard spot. And it's like, you're playing two different positions and then you're right. flipping to the other side where everything's backwards and people are like, oh, the Bengals' offensive line is putrid. Well, shoot, man, just staying in one spot and knowing the guy to your left and your right is going to alone huge. Give you a huge yeah. And people always talk about that continuity and how important. And I remember going into COVID, uh, the offseason, everyone was talking how important the continuity was going to be for the offensive line going into that year. That's something that people seem to be forgetting about the, the offensive line with Cincinnati is just not being that revolving door at every yes. single position, having guys playing multiple positions on either side of the line, just staying in one spot and being able to learn that one spot and master that one spot. I mean, before you're talking about adding a Frank Pollock or right. adding some of these, you're just right. better be from continuity's sake. So exactly. I think that's something that might be getting overlooked as well as you don't have to protect as much when you can get the ball out in under two and a half seconds because your receivers are open. If you listen to, I know Daniel Jeremiah has talked a little bit about, he talks to general manager scouts just all over the league, kind of getting a feel for what do you see, where are things going? And there's been, you know, talk of with how quick the ball gets out sometimes. Right. Maybe batting down passes is better or getting more power rushers to collapse the pocket and force them to take more time as opposed to trying to beat it off the edge because you can't just speed rush quick enough to get all the way around the arc before the ball's coming out. So again, being able to get that ball out is like improving the offensive line because having that Jamar Chase and that Tyler Boyd and that T Higgins, and then if you see a step forward from a, uh, from a Drew Sample or a healthy Azoma or Auden Tate continues to escalate and be a more of a factor then there's no reason to believe that joe burrow is necessarily going to be running for his life back there i think he's going to be scrambling to create plays because he wants more i don't think right. he's going to be running for his life right. i think he's going to be hungry to get out there and show everybody he can move exactly and one thing i always like pointing out too because because people when joe burrow was in there everybody gets mad at zach taylor for, for throwing the ball five thousand times mm -hmm. well my my point is they couldn't run the ball but they're like, well, they ran it at the end of the year. Okay. The end of the year, our two starting guards were Quentin Spain and Serafilia. Right there, that and, and and Trey Hopkins, you they solidified the middle of that line. Mm -hmm. You know, so that to me, that's why our running game got better. Our line improved by two players. I mean, Serafilia was supposed to be our, one of our starting guards last year, and he got hurt, you know, first game of the year, didn't come back till I don't know, week 12 or something like that. And then we added Spain. So 
it, it just goes to show you, you have to have talent, mm-hmm. but you don't have to have elite talent. You just have to have good talent to, to fix this. And when you have a franchise quarterback too, why are you mad at the co- at the coach for putting the ball in his hands? Right, I know. Oh, Lord, ask, <laughs> ask Seattle Seahawks Twitter what's going on with them when they try and run the ball all the darn time and talk about, oh, they're going to let Russ cook, and then as soon as one game goes poorly and doesn't work out, they go, never mind, we're going to run the ball all the time and take <laughs> right. it out of Russell Wilson's hands. It's like, right. no, this guy's like your league MVP-type caliber quarterback. Right. What are you right. doing? So, And you look at, obviously – Pat Mahomes in Kansas City, that's a very unique scenario. But at the same time, they're trending toward that, using that effective passing game. You look at what did Buffalo do before it was, oh, let's protect Josh Allen and his accuracy. And then Brian Dable came out and said, screw that. We're going to throw the ball. I mean, there was one game last year, I think, where they had 20 straight dropbacks. There's 20 straight pass attempts and didn't run the ball. And if it's working and if your quarterback is that talented, put the ball in his hands because you don't have to hand the ball off to Mixon to get it to him, put him out in a pattern, let him run a choice route, get on those angle routes, let him get out there and work as a receiver. So there's definitely ways you can keep Mixon involved, but not necessarily limit the touches that Joe Burrow is getting. Yeah, exactly. Let's get, speaking of Mixon, let's get to the uh, yeah. the PFF rankings of of him. You know, the, uh, Joe Mixon during, or is returning from the lowest PFF grade in his career, 65.3, an injury-shortened 2020 season. Right. But there are reasons for optimism heading into next year. The offensive line, like we just talked about, should be improved. And Mixon did earn PFF's rushing grade of the least – oh, at least, excuse me, of at least 74.0 in each of his first three NFL seasons. The loss of Giovanni Bernard does make this a thinner group heading into next season. The Bengals – will rely on Samaj Piron to spell Mixon, who did in last season with back-to-back 80-yard rushing grade or 80.0 rushing yard grades, week 16 mm-hmm. and 17. Your thoughts, Evan? So you do see a little bit of what you kind of referenced where in the last couple games of the season, they did get a little bit of, of continuity there at the offensive line to where right. they took Michael Jordan out. They put Suofilo and Spain in when they were healthy. That's kind of that shows right there that when the offensive line is able to create that space to give Mixon the chance to run, it's it's beneficial to him, which obviously we would expect, right? And part of this this twenty overall ranking, obviously, like they say, is the loss of Gio Bernard. If he's in there, right. he's a, a very established veteran. You know what you're getting is a very very good pass protector, one of the league's better receiving backs, and a very capable rusher in his own right as well. If he's still there, I think this ranking is probably closer to like maybe 12 or 13. Right. Um, just understanding that Samaj P. Ryan has not done much in the NFL in terms of accomplishment, and Chris Evans is a six-round rookie. While impressive and limited action at Michigan, he doesn't have a tremendous body of work. A lot of projection. That's why they end up around here. Right. And part of, obviously, we won't get too much into running back value, but like we said, the offensive line has to be blocking well. Your uh, run game coordinator, your coach, your scheme have to be effective and you can't be running your head into a wall with stuff that's not working right or you don't have the personnel to execute. Um, But importantly, the ways that running backs can really add value to what they do um, is receiving, obviously, but also creating missed tackles, forcing missed tackles. And that's something that Mixon absolutely has the capability to do, Um, not this past season, but the season before. Um, I remember 
that after the break, I think it was the week eight bye, Mixon was like a top five rusher in the NFL. They came out and they were handing the ball off to him. He was much. I remember the Patriots game where he had like over 100 yards and was just absolutely dominating. And he looked good. And when you look at the first eight weeks and the next eight weeks, everybody was like, Mixon's doing so much better, the scheme and everything. But if you looked at his missed tackle rate, it was down to like 15 or 20% in the first eight weeks, but it was up to like 35% in the next eight weeks. So he is capable of uh, making defenders miss. He's capable of being agile with that slippery little wiggle, destroying tackling angles, kind of getting people to take those glance angles as opposed to those direct square tackles. Um, He's capable of doing that. But I also have heard uh, Mike Sands, uh, Bengal Sands. also uh, Great follow on Twitter too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go follow both of those guys if you aren't already. If you're if you're following me or Jeff and you're not following yeah. them, you're yeah, messing you should, up real bad. So you should definitely follow those guys right now. Um, <laughs> but they had a great discussion about Joe Mixon. And um, part, one thing they kind of brought up was even when he gets paired up on defensive backs, he sometimes wants to hit the truck stick and then he just, he, he breaks the tackle, but then he gets tripped up a little bit and the guy's able to catch him from behind or he falls over, but, or he's able to get that extra two or three yards, but that's it. And so, right. Really, the only thing holding him back from being one of those high-end Alvin Kamara guys, those Derrick Henry guys, is his breaking the tackle. Because we know he's a receiving back. We want to see that he's better as a pass protector, but it sounds like they want to keep him out on the downs, and they trust him to be out there on all of those downs now. And they want to give him that opportunity. So hopefully we see that this year. I think if you see improved pass blocking, obviously health is a factor. It's tough because – Players go out there and play injured. Right. They play hurt and they don't play to their full percent because obviously you're going out there with, you know, turf toe trying to run routes. You're not going to be as effective and it's going to show in your grading, right? You're going to be hurt. Every, exactly. None of them are going to be 100%. I mean, unfortunately, there's there's not an injury checkbox that we can put right. as a qualifier, right? Right. right. If you're going to be healthy enough to be on the field and go play, then you are going to be graded just like everybody else, right? So, it may be unfair if they're out there hobbled and can't cut that they're not getting graded on a curve or something. But at the same time, if you're out there playing, that's part of it. So that lower grade he had last season, you see it in the last couple of weeks when he was healthier, when the line was better, you saw improved production. And I think with improvement in the, in the pass blocking with hopefully another year with a full length season of Joe Burrow and a little bit better coordination with Frank Pollock. I think this could be the season that we do see mixing kind of really mesh with the offense because sometimes when geos come in, it felt like things ran smoothly, but I think this is probably the season where Joe Mixon feels good. Everyone feels good. It, it, it sounds like he's very excited about Frank Pollock coming in. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the season he's really ready to just go out there and prove to himself that he is one of those league's best backs. Yeah, he's definitely going to prove that he's one of the uh, league's best, best multi-purpose backs. Because that's what they're paying mm-hmm. him to be, let's be honest. Now, uh, Crypt Keeper has a question for you. He has, Evan, how does Chris Collinsworth feel about the Bengals? Because I'm sure your office is right next to Collinsworth. You guys talk every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> if only man i uh yeah no chris is chris is way too busy for uh for little guys like me but no chris is great man and uh i would definitely recommend he's got a great podcast over there the chris collinsworth podcast um he's always doing really great interviews he had adam Schefter on and um i want to make sure i'm getting this name right real quick ari 
Merov. There we go. He is PFF's newest hire. He's going to start covering the NFL teams, kind of breaking news. Adding to that is uh, PFF sort of builds that a little bit. So that's something exciting. So I would definitely recommend going and checking that out. But Chris is definitely – you saw the clip of NBC Sports. I know uh, Logie and uh, Bengals Jim were both tweeting that out the other day. It was Chris Collinsworth trying to cape for the Bengals and advocate yep. for them and saying, yep. hey, like let's give them credit. They've got some good players. And he's yep. got everybody else saying, no, 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 let's talk about something else. And, right. you know – Chris is is still he lives in Cincinnati. He he is Cincinnati, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, he brought PFF to Cincinnati. He loves the city, and I, I think he has a really bullish view on the Bengals to where he trusts what PFF does. And I think if anybody's going to get behind his model, because he sits with Eric and asks a million questions. Eric Eager, our chief data scientist, who actually just did a. Um, He's our head of research and development over at PFF, too, and he just did a podcast over with Sim and Ace, so check that out as well. Great look at the Bengals, but they talk all the time, so I'm sure Chris has the utmost faith in Eric's model, which is where I get that 10th percentile outcome from, so I would say that Chris is going to be more bullish than the national media on the Bengals based on him caping for the Bengals last season, knowing that he has this pride in Cincinnati and being a Bengal as well. I think that he definitely is going to be one of the let's put it this way when when the Bengals surprise when? people because when? people have such low expectations that when they hit when they finally do start sparking and clicking everyone's going to be like whoa where, where did this come from and everyone else is going to in Cincinnati is going to be like i told you this was coming no I one be, would be surprised yep. but i'll be like i told you i told you exactly and i guarantee you chris will be on nbc We'll yep. be on his podcast and we'll be saying, pay attention to the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow with what they've got with T. Higgins, with Jamar Chase. You know he's a receiver. I'm sure he's real excited about that receiving core they got there. That's something he can get behind, man. And there's just a lot of electricity in Cincinnati, I'm sure you know. So, Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be exciting. Now, if, now, if nothing else. It's going to be fun. I mean, some, I can't remember. I might have been the, the Locked on Bengals podcast. I, I listen to so many different podcasts. I can't remember where I hear yeah, them. Yeah, I, I hear you. But somebody said, I thought it was a good point. If the Bengals don't win as much as we think they're going to, it's still going to be fun to watch them because they're going to put 25, 30 points up a game. I mean, it's it's going right. to be fun to watch. I mean, You're I want them to win. For them. That's the thing is there's too many weapons for them to, to not find their way into being an effective offense that – at the very least, you're not going to be watching these grinded out, three and out, right. frustrating right. face palm drives to where, okay, we got, I can't remember how many times it was like we got the ball back and then it was like three and out. Just, yes. All right, you know, I defense, like, save well, us dude, again. Yeah, back the, in the 2015 days. Yeah. The, 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 the Marvin Lewis move. All right. right. We, we got the ball to go into halftime. We got the ball coming out of halftime. Let's do something stupid, go three and out. Give the ball back to the other team. They run down the field and score before half. We yep. get the ball back again. Don't score. They get the ball yep. back and score on us. Like, right. Ah, that was, you know. It kills you, and it's demoralizing, and it's backbreaking, and it's it's oh. it feels like the swing is so quick on that. So exactly. I think those, those, are game changing, those are game-changing drives. That changes oh, yeah. the whole game right there. Absolutely. And something encouraging in that fact, uh, since we are talking about kind of end-of-game scenarios there, is that Joe Burrow, looked so calm and cool in every single kind of scenario where they were two-minute drill, whether it was end of half, end of the game, when he had to – had the pressure, the defense knew he was trying to pass, and they said, 
we're going to go ahead and we're going to do what we've got to do and get it taken care of anyway. He took care of the ball. Obviously, there was that interception in the Colts game. Yeah. But overall, he was dicing people up in those last kind of two-minute drills. So encouraging to see. Hopefully, the Bengals can find their ways to be more effective and put up more points in those scenarios as opposed to giving the other uh, team the opportunity to do so. Exactly. Let's get to the rankings you guys have for, uh, I think this is pretty much the Bengals offense or just the quarterbacks. I um, but uh, you have Burrow has been sacked 32 times, second mm-hmm. in the NFL, and hit 43 times, fourth in the in the NFL. At the time of his season-ending injury, it was far from an optimal situation, but he still managed to put together an impressive season, particularly in short interim ranges. He and Chase, the fifth overall pick in 2021 draft, NFL draft, are the two most logical pieces to build around on offense that duo combined for 14.7 yards per attempt and 141.3 passer rating in LSU's 2019 championship season. That right there is one of the reasons I am so excited about this offense. I mean, if they could come anywhere close mm-hmm. to what to this right here, to what yep. they did last in their last year at LSU. Oh, it's Dude, crazy. We're 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 going to win some games. I mean, that, that's going to happen. Absolutely. And both of their grades when interacting with each other when they were uh when Joe Burrow was targeting Chase, I both grades are elite for Joe Burrow and for Chase. I mean, it was utterly dominant. Obviously, he had more deep touchdowns in one season after and then opted out than guys like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, anybody had in two. So he was effective as a deep receiver before he even had this kind of improved athletic profile. So really encouraging to see that. Um, That article that was pulled up right there was the um, players to build around for every team. So if you're kind of thinking about your your cornerstone pillars for the Bengals, I think a lot of people would say, obviously, Jesse Bates, Joe Burrow. And then that third guy could be T. Higgins or Jamar Chase, depending on how confident you feel in your projection for Jamar Chase. but I think that's ultimately kind of the the general area that you would point to. And that is a really good core to build around. And what's encouraging is two of those are premium positions mm-hmm. that cost a lot of money. They give you surplus value for the next four seasons to where you can take that money because DeAndre Hopkins is up there at $25, $27 million a year. You're right. saving $20 million there by getting what we hope to be an elite receiver in Jamar Chase. That's $20 million you can spend on the offensive line or paying Trey Hendrickson to, to get past rush or going out and getting another secondary player to bolster that with Jesse Bates. That gives you that flexibility, not to mention what you get with Joe Burrow, not paying him what uh, – I was actually talking with uh, Brad Spielberger, who's PFF sal- salary cap analyst, right. uh, earlier today about this. I, I posed a hypothetical about if, if rookies could be extended, if there was no extension rules – what would you give? Oh Joe yeah, Burrow? I saw you tweet. I saw you tweet yeah, that out. I, yes. I, yes, I was thinking to myself with uh, with Baker coming up, with Lamar coming up. I was like, man, Joe Burrow could, in a couple of years could be in that forty five million dollar range. What if we could extend him now? Well, what would, what would that number look like? You know, it's an early discount. You know, he's coming off injury. What 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 would that number look like? And I asked Brad just for an outside perspective as a cap guy, and he was like. Even coming off massive injury like that, I would still feel confident putting him in that $35 million a year range. So when you look at that compared to what he's making, I mean, you're you're saving $25, $30 million 
below market right there. So you really have 40 to $50 million in cap room afforded to you just by right. having Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow as a young core. That's part of the tremendous value that PFF is trying to preach, um, especially through, and not just PFF, a lot of analytics people, a lot of even smart football people recognize how much these guys are getting paid and recognize the value in having these elite, uh, these elite high-end positions, these these valuable positions, cornerback, wide receiver, pass rusher. When you get a guy who's on that rookie contract, what it affords you and the flexibility to go spend elsewhere to mm-hmm. patch your roster up is is invaluable. It really right. is. And that that's why I've said this on, on the show. A lot of people are like, well, Bengals window, which it might be true, mm-hmm. Bengals window really opens up next year. And I'm like, yeah. Why not this year? Because, like you said, we only got these guys. We got these guys signed for four years. Mm-hmm. It, and then who knows what's going to happen? You know, would the contracts go up? I, I we got to go for it now. And I, I legitly think the Bengals, if it all comes together, and you know all that stuff, they have the talent to do it. And the, and the good thing I like about all the guys that they they have brought in the last couple of years, all of them are from winning college programs. How many of these guys? On this team, from General Williams to to Jackpot Joey Burrow, which we're in Jackpot Joey Burrow. So, so, <laughs> so uh, you guys can, uh, you want to buy them? Hit me up. I'll, I'll let you know where to buy them. Anyway, um, from Jackpot Joey Burrow to T Higgins to Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. all these guys have won national championships, and yeah. the way they do it now with the pro football playoffs and everything, it's as big as an NFL playoff game can be. Yeah. So they know how to win. They know how to win under pressure. That has got to work, I would think, in the NFL to win games. Right. You, you gotta you gotta think it translates in some facet. And what you do know is going to translate is that chemistry with Joe mm-hmm. Burrow and with Jamar mm-hmm. Chase. That's something you can count on. Um, obviously you've talked about them drafting winners. I'll add Jackson Carmen to that too, yes. a guy who played at Clemson for as long as almost Trevor Lawrence was there playing, right. you know, playing tackle for him. So right. it's it's definitely something they've been going after defensive captains, offensive captains, guys from established, uh, established programs. Like you said, winning programs that I, I think they're definitely trying to build the culture. And obviously there was a lot of question about with Carlos Dunlap, with guys being disgruntled, obviously you want things to go smoothly, but sometimes things aren't going to go that way. Veterans right. are starting to either age out or, like you get a new regime in here where it just doesn't quite fit the vision. And there's some, some, some clashing about that. Right. And that's to be expected. It's unfortunate the way it ended, especially after the career that Carlos has had here, especially after we know he's a tremendous man outside of football as well. Um, it's unfortunate to see that, but I think that got really extrapolated and people like to pile on. And it obviously with the losing, with those reports coming out, right. there's, there's reason for that. Right. Yeah. And it's, the same way that people are maybe discounting the Bengals a little bit. Look, it's it's not entirely unwarranted just from the history no. of the team. We're, we're four twelve and one games in know. the last seasons. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is when people get upset about oh the offensive line is ranked twenty fourth going into the season. It's like other people are saying this is still the worst end of the offensive line twenty fourth. Right. If they're twenty fourth, that means they have room to go up to like twenty or eighteen. You know, right, if right, they, right. if are high end projections. So like. Again, complete not elite. If you get to that league average, you're in great shape, right? right? So 
it's it's definitely encouraging to see. And I think um, the culture that they're building, everyone seems to be on the same page. You see everybody show up for, for uh, non-mandatory camp. So it's encouraging to see that everyone seems to be on the same page. They seem to have kind of obviously gotten rid of Jim Turner, gotten rid of Bobby Hart, kind of done these things where they've excised maybe some of the stuff that was causing some turmoil in their locker room. And I think they have a more singular focus, a more united kind of goal this season. And I think you've seen that so far, and hopefully we continue to see that through training camp as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, we got a, uh, a good uh, comment in here from Crown Apple Kid, and this goes to, I think, the tight end position, and, and I cannot remember the, the wide receiver's name that the Bengals went and looked at the other day who's trying to become a tight end, but you got Alton Tate. He says he's a beast. And he won't get a chance. And I know some Bengals fans. It, uh, oh shoot, he used to play for the Eagles. Yeah, Eagles and the 49ers, and I cannot remember his name right now. Oh man. Yeah, I I, I got too much. I got too much. Other I'm gonna wake up at 3 a.m. and just shout a random name and just remember. <laughs> it all. Yeah. Trust me, my viewers will, will, will help me out here. But do you think there's a shot that uh, that Tate might get a shot? I mean, there's been some talk about putting moving him to tight end. You think with with the tight end situation the Bengals have, they're already looking at a wide receiver who or a tight end who was a wide receiver and wants to convert mm -hmm. to tight end. Do you think they might? Uh, there it is, Jordan Matthews. Thank I you. Knew, I knew it was something I, with a J. Yeah, I know. I know. But Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. Exactly. Um, so I see this. I, I see the the Auden Tate tight end talk. Can we just be really, really happy that Auden Tate is one of the best like rotational receivers that you can have as a fourth option in the NFL? Right. Can we just be happy that he is one of the top tier rotational guys that you could have and be extremely thrilled about it? Can we be happy instead of trying to force him into this superstar? Well, maybe he can supplant this guy and move here or do this. <laughs> guys, like, Let's be happy he's so good at what he does because it is extremely valuable to have him. And like we said, right. when you have those injuries to a Tyler Boyd, if he has to miss a couple games, if right. T. Higgins has to miss a couple games, if Jamar Chase has to miss a couple games, you have that guy like Auden Tate that you can feel so confident in and not even worry about. I don't want to pack 25 or 30 pounds on a guy who's already slow and has trouble separating. Right. I, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm not excited about it. He he already runs. His 40s already in tight end territory. And he's like, I think, 225. Mm -hmm. If we pack Something 25 like that, yeah. pounds on him just yeah. to try and get him up to 250 to play tight end, which he's never played before. Right. And has no practice at. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's different. So, like, I just – I, I want to be right now, put my foot down, like – let Auden Tate be the great Auden Tate. Like, let him just be that awesome guy that comes in and is just – his name pops up right when you need him. When Oh, man, and we're right here on third down. It's third and eight, and then suddenly he goes out there and makes this incredible contested catch. And you're like, I'm so happy we have Auden Tate. Let's not force anything on him. Let's not expect him to come out and get 800 yards and eight touchdowns. Let's just be really, really thankful that the Bengals are that deep at wide receiver. Right. And there's a lot of teams that would love to have him as a third receiver or maybe as an outside guy to complement their good slot guy and their other good outside guy. But I just – I don't want to keep trying to make him more than he is. I want to be very, very appreciative of the good player that he is already. Yeah, exactly. And that, that goes to, to my point as we started this mm -hmm. is that 
um, I I want depth, and right. that that's what depth, and you said. We're only up, yeah, any, every, any, any and every position. Yeah. Rusher, all of it. I want it all. Right. We're 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 one hamstring pull away from one of these guys not playing or missing, you know, a play, and and he jumps mm-hmm. in. But I have a super chat here from Rowdy. Every lap, I think I'm gonna say Rowdy. Every lap, wanna thank you for the super chat. I appreciate it. And uh, just like that, you guys can support what I'm doing. But uh, it says, since T. Higgins has no catches. Wait. Since, yeah, since T. Higgins has no catches in the first or last game, he had three or more games on top of the constant maturation of his game. Okay. Am I reading that right? Because I'm having a hard time understanding what his yeah, question yeah. is. Yeah, so I think what he's just trying to say is that um... – and rightly so that T Higgins was not really involved this first week or two, because right. obviously they were still expecting AJ green to be the number one guy. They had Tyler Boyd. Um, they did a good job of trying to work those tight ends early and they just weren't trying to put all that on T Higgins. I'm sure it's week one as a rookie. Yeah. They wanted to let AJ green be the guy. Uh, well, AJ necess- green, that's, that's what they expected him to do last year. Right. And it never, it never happened. Exactly. It never happened. And sometimes that, And so I agree with uh, what Rowdy's saying that because not only was he not asked to do that, but he was a rookie who once he was asked to starting to in week two and week three, he picked up more and more responsibility every week until even I remember uh, listening to like national fantasy guys, like on fantasy right. pros start to be like, Look, guys, T. Higgins has quietly become like the number one guy by like week five and six that he's getting the most targets. He is that guy. And so it was encouraging to see that he wasn't going to be asked to do that, but was suddenly asked to do that very quickly and adjusted very well to finish the season well. And also, another point, he was playing with Ryan Finley instead of Joe Burrow, which being able to throw the ball accurately, Joe Burrow is not. Yeah. Slight difference. Joe Burrow is not just good in the intermediate range. He is elite. He was one of the highest graded intermediate passers we've seen since we started grading in 2006. So it it really can't be stressed enough how his accuracy, especially in that intermediate area, gives his receivers opportunity to make plays. Like when he rolled out to the right, threw that bomb down the sideline that everyone thought was going out of bounds. And suddenly yep. T Higgins is able to yep. grab it and reel it in and everyone's losing their minds. It's, it's those kind of plays that his accuracy can give you. So mm-hmm. I expect with, like he said, T Higgins maturation, another year with him, a year with Burrow coming in and also hopefully having a full season of Burrow. It's the sky's the limit for him. Well, well T Higgins also out there working out with uh, Jalen Ramsey too. So, I mean, you're, you're going to work out and go against one of the mo- one of the elite cornerbacks in this league, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> right. When you you play against the elite guy, then suddenly you go up against a couple average guys, and you're like, well, hey, I've gotten open against Jalen Ramsey before. Like, right. I'm not worried about this guy over here, which, you know, is maybe a little unfair to those guys, but that's the mentality you have as right. a competitor, right? Like, when you play one of those elite guys, you start talking to yourself and going, man, like, he's all right. He's good. Like, don't get me wrong, but that guy was something else. Like, I can handle this. That guy like, is good. That guy, right. I can beat that guy. If I can beat that guy – I can definitely right. beat you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have the same kind of mentality. My friend is a very, very talented basketball player, and I play him, and, you know, it's like I, I always was guarding him because we live in the same neighborhood. And it was like I'd have to go guard somebody, but I'd be like, hey, at least it's not Mark. Like, <laughs> I, he's so quick that you're fine. You're nothing to me. It's like you're running right. quick stand. I'll just stand here right. in front of you. That's all right. right. So, yeah, right. no, he. I, I think T. Higgins, man, he's – 
he's doing everything right. He looked good as a rookie that I don't I don't anticipate you're going to see a sophomore slump. I think you see him continue to grow. And PFF actually has him and uh, Jamar Chase both projected to go over a thousand yards this season. So it's exactly they're they're expecting a lot from this offense. We but I think are. it's I think it's rightly rightly uh, rightly expected. Yes. I, I think it's fair expectations yes. to have yes. what they've invested there. Absolutely. Uh, Rowdy Everlap, give me a $10 super chat. Again, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, T. Higgins averaged 15.2 yards per catch with Burrow. It's that intermediate Q. range, man. Right. It's that sweet exactly. spot right past the sticks. I mean, mm -hmm. we – I don't want to bag on Ryan Finley. I – but we know we, well, I mean, well, well, just, just look at the game that, that he he won against the Squealers. Yeah. When he made one pass, one one deep pass, you know, the rest of it he was running. So I mean, no, and that's the thing. A, he's a, he's a Bengals legend for beating the Steelers in that game, right? We, we don't want to rag on him, but at the same time, when he threw a ball more than like five or ten yards, it looked like he was throwing a paper airplane. All right, so it just it had no velocity, no zip, it floated. It just it was. It didn't give his receivers an opportunity to really make the most of the each pass. So yeah. I, I think that's going to be really important because we see in our ball charting that we do in our QB annual how much the location of the ball influences what the receiver can do after the catch. It's exactly. really important that if you have it leading away from the defender, that they are able and to pick up more. And obviously that makes sense just intuitively, logically, that if you catch it in rhythm, you're going to be able to continue as opposed to if you have to adjust or do your body control or work backwards. So really Joe Burrow is the is the engine that's going to make this all work, obviously. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. That's not to say that he's not going to have some very talented options to throw to. Right. And I mean, honestly, I think the key to this season is Joe Mixon. I, I really do. He, he's he got to be very productive running the ball and coming out of the backfield. And Steve Jeanette here says, if Joe Mixon is healthy and pr productive, I cannot imagine Tate getting many opportunities as the four wide, wide receiver, uh, unless perhaps they try to make a package for him that supports wide receiver slash tight end hybrid role. Which you never know, but I mean, I I, I could see them using him. I, I mean, I do. I, I can't see. There's, there's. I think there's gonna be enough footballs for for to go around for everybody. Because Joe Burrow, my he he has a connection with 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 Chase. He had a, he started developing a, a connection with Higgins. He had a connection really quickly with CJ. Ooh, Zama. <laughs> He, I don't think he cares who he throws the ball to. No. If you're so, open, he's going to throw it. He's throwing it to you. So I can see them trying to put Tate in there just to change it up a little because there's so many options that this offensive team has. And to me, like I, said, I think Joe Mixon is the key to the offense. The key to the whole season is the defense. And, mm -hmm. and Lou finally, I think, has people in place and talent-wise – that can at least are capable of of doing what he wants to do in this this morphing hybrid uh, uh, defense that that he mm -hmm. wants to run. Where basically it's the, it's a new England Patriots defense is what he wants to do. Where whatever that team does well, he wants to take it away from. That's why he wants guys that can that can rush the passer, but they can also drop back in coverage, so you don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think he's finally has guys talented enough to do that. Now, if it happens, I don't know, but I think that is the key to this season. I don't think I'm saying anything, you know, that no other Bengal fan. No, I, I think yeah. you touched on two really good points there. Um, the first thing that jumps out to me is like you said, they can rotate Tate in. Um, obviously they have, 
they ran a lot of four and five wide receiver sets. They went four and five wide. Now right. necessarily you can obviously put Mixon out wide. Mm-hmm. You can put Izoma out wide. You can do things or put them in the slot to where maybe you have one less receiver on the field, but they can either go wide and go more empty to give Burrow more opportunity to make the reads easier, to try and give him more tar- or uh, more targets to hit in the field, um, to let him really just analyze what's out there and just attack. But even if they don't, even if they stay in that kind of 11 personnel mold where they have three wide receivers, tight end running back, then you're looking at that. And I think they can rotate Tate in and say, hey, let's keep these guys fresh. That's the advantage you have against a lot of these uh, these cornerbacks is you can rotate constantly where they don't want to rotate their top guys out at cornerback. But you can rotate your wide receivers to keep them fresh where it's like, well, shoot. You just had to play against Auden Tate and get off, and you're pressing him for two or three plays, fighting him. Right. Here comes Jamar Chase with fresh right. legs, and he's about exactly. to try and take you on a post, like and get vertical. Well, like, that, it's, go ahead. That, so that's what I like about the defense. I think when we went to five straight playoffs, we had rotations we again. Had guys, D line. Yes, he's got D-line. so much more depth, than you've added yes. depth yes. with Larry yes. Ogunjobi, with attacking obviously Edge with Joseph Osai in the draft. Um, sample the name is escaping me of the other gentleman that uh they drew sample well. uh other edge from a small school uh that we just drafted oh yes drew, i believe in the fourth round with one of those picks we, i can't remember for what, the life was, right it, was it a drew sample out, out of Tulane? yes yes that's what okay. it was yeah all right and um he was actually had a really good obviously smaller school weaker competition but had right. a very good grading profile yes it was very encouraging so these are guys that you can rotate in with what they already have with larry ogunjobi with a healthy dj reader to where again we go back to you're not rotating your tackles no. if you get a fresh trey hendrickson coming right at you and then sam hubbard rotates in or you're dealing with Sam Hubbard against the run and his high motor the entire time. And here comes Trey Hendrickson off a speed rush then, or with a quick counter, then like what you're, you're going to be dog tired, but these guys are going to be fresh. And like you said, that, that rotation is going to help them be more effective. It's going to help them stay healthier. It's going to help them in general, just be a better unit and hopefully generate more pressure, more sacks up front. Sorry. (laughs) I got something caught my throat. I want to call for the mic, but that that brings me to my my point that I I kind of banged on ESPN a little bit about, and I guess Pro Football Focus a little bit too, yeah. is the ranking of the Bengals team in general. Now I know we're you know four twelve and one or whatever you know in Zach Taylor era, but they have the, the at least ESPN did. I, I haven't checked out PFF's rankings how where they had this team, but ESPN had the Jets and the Jaguars. Both ranked higher than us. And I, I'm just looking at pure talent-wise. The Jacksonville Jaguars just drafted number one overall. Who else did they get? I mean, we had, we drafted, yes, we drafted number one overall last year, but he, we have a quarterback coming to his second year. We just talked about all the multiple, multiple players that we've added through free agency and the draft. That's mm-hmm. where I have the problem. And I'm not saying we should be in a top 10, top 15. Not, right. not, I just don't understand why they have these teams Ahead of us, and I'm trying to look at it on paper, and that's what all this is, is on paper. Mm-hmm. Talent-wise, how how do they see this? I, you know, yeah. I, So there is a little bit of disrespect there, I think, obviously, and people discounting the Bengals to a degree, right? Um, that's just something that I'm sure Bengals fans and everyone else has felt, has understood. Um, is it fair? Not 
not at all. It's it shouldn't factor in. But unfortunately, people have that attrition, right? They stop voting for LeBron for MVP because they're they're sick of it, right? You know, right. it's like even if they are, it's like let's get somebody else in there, right? So, right. You, so you've got the new factor, right? New coach in uh, New York where we feel good about it. They've got a new quarterback who's pretty t- uh, a high pick. They've got Denzel Mims. They've got Elijah Moore, who a lot of people are really excited about as an explosive weapon. They've got some some options there. They've obviously got a, a, an offensive line that's building out and getting better. Um, they do have guys like Marcus May that are good uh, young defensive talents. But I agree that you're definitely splitting hairs. You're you're looking at something that is very close to even between the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Bengals, and people are choosing what's new because they have this idea of this positive projection forward, right? When you think about, oh, Urban Meyer's coming in and he's got Trevor Lawrence, how can right. this not work out well, right? Or well. you got this new <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, no, you're, you're yeah, we're obviously we can see that, but people right. are fascinated by it. People right. are going, oh, Urban Meyer's gonna have this great offense and all this stuff, and they're just you know, just discounting all the the red flags that have already popped up, right? Right, but right, right, right. Again, the the newness factor. And to their credit, Jacksonville does have an interesting young core. Obviously, uh, DJ Chark is very good. D.D. Westbrook is still a quality receiver that probably doesn't get enough credit. Uh, LaVisca Chanel, I remember watching him when I was doing like charting games for PFF back in watching Colorado games for no good reason and watching him and just being like, oh, my gosh, this guy's great. I love LaVisca. So I'm a big fan. So. Then they, of course, the newness factor again. You got Trevor Lawrence, and oh, he's with his teammate. Oh, how is this not going to go well? Like again, it's it's narrative based, right? It's yeah. not fact based. Yeah. And you can look at it and go, well, who are the elite players on the Bengals? It's Joe Burrow and Jesse Bates, right? Those right. are the guaranteed elite players we know we have, and we have, in fairness, two good good seasons, above average seasons from Jesse Bates, and one very elite top of the top of the league season. You've got Joe Burrow, who looked amazing for about seven or eight weeks, but then that was only seven or eight weeks. We've even seen Blake Bortles look like one of the better quarterbacks in the league for four weeks, right? So it's just – I think people are discounting it because of the Bengals. I think a little yeah. bit when you go, who are the who are the key pieces? Well, Joe Burrow and Jesse Bates, okay, well, that's new. That's newer. Right. Let's, let's see if that's established before we just guarantee that the Bengals have it figured out now. And obviously with Zach Taylor, I think – if you just look at the rosters, I think people would put the Bengals ahead of both of those teams, maybe. But when you I add the head so. coaches in, yeah, then all of a sudden people go, "Well, I'd rather have Urban Meyer." Like I, I, yeah. would, I don't well, want Zach Taylor. Do, Zach do Taylor really doesn't think, even deserve to coach in the league, according to yeah. Lombardi. So, I mean, do you really think? I mean, I, I, I'm an Ohio State. I mean, I'm a Bearcat fan first and foremost, but I do root for Ohio State. But I just don't see Urban Meyer's offense transitioning to the NFL because I mean it's yeah it's a spread offense but not really I mean he doesn't it, it, they don't deacon they don't throw the ball that deep it's not he's never had a great quarterback out of college I mean I can't think I mean you had I think Alex Smith but he was great huh? right. ahead, I think people probably get obsessed with the numbers a little bit um obviously in college at we know Ohio State obviously is a super super talented program. Right, with right. Very good coaches. I don't want to take any. Anything no, I'm not taking anything away from this. Nothing against right? nothing against Ohio State or anything. At the same time, yeah. when compared to the rest of the Big Ten, they just out athlete everybody all the time. Right, right. So it's very easy 
for those kind of short passes, those drags, the mesh concepts, everything to kind of work. And there was some some deeper concepts here and there, and obviously they've transitioned to that where they've got these talented receivers like Chris Olave who are extremely good. Right. Um, but I agree to where maybe it doesn't have the same success that same success that it did at Ohio State where you have these guys who are supremely athletic, superior athletes to the guys trying to cover them, where these linebackers can keep up with these guys. These these safeties, these corners can match up with these guys. So I think you may see some growing pains. And I think maybe not the offense, because we hear it all the time. The the job of the coach is more head coach in the NFL is more CEO, is more right. CEO yeah. Yeah. than hands-on. I'm right. going to coordinate the offense. You guys figure everything else out. No, you're dealing with all the minute BS right. that Urban Meyer does not want to deal with. And that right. was kind of like the the eye-raising question where if you're just looking at some of the off-the-field stuff, we know there was the questionable hire of, I think it was the strength coach. Yes, that strength coach, coach, yes. Right? The the questionable hire to do that without considering the optics. The right. He's already got reports coming out from, I think, this last week that he's already frustrated. Training camp hasn't even started. And he's already frustrated with how things are limiting him. And it's like right. yeah. you, you don't have the the control that you did in college and that you have independent adult men that you're trying to coach now as opposed to young. It's going to be a challenge. And I don't think that it's that Urban Meyer can't rise to that challenge. No, I, 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 yeah. It I'm might more, take a little bit of time. It might take some adjustments. I'm more just talking about because it's such a quarterback-driven league. And I know Justin Fields just came out, but I mean, Urban wasn't the head coach when Justin Fields was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Just the quarterbacks that that Urban Meyer has had have been great college quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong; they've been none athletes of, who play quarterback, yeah. not quarterbacks who are athletes. Right? None of them have really transitioned to great quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, Alex Smith had a long; he developed. It took him a long time to Max develop into Miller, a JT quarterback. Barrett. I mean, yes. yeah, it's. I mean, that that's where I'm like, now he's got. Trevor Lawrence, and you know, we'll see what happens. This could be the 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 most quarterback quarterback he's ever had. If that's a, that's bad English, but you know, you, you understand no, what I'm saying. saying. Yes, the the most uh, prototypical. Yes, kind of there you go. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you're looking for the guy with the size, the strength, the right. arm to hit every single throw, and maybe that encourages Urban Meyer to open it up more than when he had guys like Alex Smith and JT Barrett because. I remember watching some of these games and seeing them, and it would like everything would spread out down the field, and all of a sudden, like there's a running back on the sideline right. waving right. his hands in the air, and he's <laughs> not even getting looked at. And I was like, "That's how you know you're not dealing with like the highest level quarterback necessarily." And obviously, these are college kids who are just coming in and just still trying to figure out everything. Exactly. And you still see quarterbacks will come into the NFL and they'll say, "What was the first? What was the hardest thing for you? Or what do you feel best about going into year two? And they say. Well, now I know how to read a defense. It's like a lot of these guys in college don't necessarily right. know. They get right. they get half field reads. They know where the ball's supposed to go based on what they're seeing, middle of the field, open, closed, all this, right? So they're just looking for these key reads as opposed to understanding the entirety of the defense and how everything exactly. functions. So exactly. you don't want to ask too much of a 19-year-old kid who's playing at Ohio State in the biggest stage, but you're right in the sense that he's got the most quarterback quarterback, as you said, right. that he's had. So we'll see if maybe he opens things up a little bit, but I don't think it's unreasonable to say – from the CEO perspective, and even maybe on his offense too, there might be some growing pains a little bit for Urban Meyer. Right, exactly. And I got to get to the super chat here. Rowdy, every lap, you are killing it. Rowdy. I see. I keep pointing at that camera. That camera's not working. Rowdy, you're killing it. I appreciate you. Uh, support me what I'm doing here. 
T. Higgins will be elite in 2021. I have seen every game he's played since 2017, and he keeps getting better. I agree with him. I, I, he, I mean, I, he, he reshaped his body. He looked yeah. like a better athlete last year than he did in college. I mean, if he continues to improve mm -hmm. on that trajectory until he gets to a fully developed 24 or 25-year-old, then I they they may have two elite receivers on rookie contracts. Took, took the words years. right out of my mouth. I was just about to say, we, we have two X. Two yeah. X wide receivers. I mean, I, I, they, and that's the, I think that could be the cool thing about this offense. Those two can be interchangeable, mm -hmm. you know. So you can't. I, that, we're, okay, most offenses will have you know that one elite mm -hmm. wide receiver. Uh, the Bengals, I think, are going to have two. Yeah. So which one are you going to stop? And a really, yeah. really, really good one, and and Tyler Boyd, right. like yeah, exactly. not, not Payne, but yes, to have right. that elite ups like yes. top tier potential. Yes. Right, right, yes. right. And and I've said this before on my show. I really do think these guys have a chance to be even better than uh, I think the, the three best the Bengals have had it, together in Chad Johnson, TJ, uh, TJ Uzama, TJ Ushpanzada, <laughs> Diesel, and, and and Slim Chris Henry. I think they have a potential to be better than those guys. I really do. Is that a thing? Can we get a TJ Hushmanzada, CJ Ozama hybrid? Like <laughs> out on the field with Joe Burrow? Like I feel like that's a secret weapon we should be investing in. That, that's called not being able to get my tongue to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. They both have the the alphabet soup last names that kind of blend together a little yes, bit. Uzama, I, I understand. Yeah, hey, exactly. It's tough, man. It's tough. Sometimes it is, man. It's the struggle is real. The struggle is real. All right. It's uh oh, dude, it's already it's after 6 30, man. We're here. Just rolling along here. You got time I'm to talk Bengals, right? Oh, exactly. You got time to hang out some more? Or you, or yeah, you man, I'm good. All right, cool. cool. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, Steve here says, Joe Burrow is getting better every game before he got hurt too. That's, yes. And Zach Taylor has said this, mm -hmm. that the offense, and I've said the offense was starting to click. That 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 Washington game, they were winning that game if he, if he doesn't get hurt. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. And I've always said it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. Not that not that I'm glad Joe got hurt, which I'm not, but I really do think if the if he had not gotten hurt, the Bengals could have ended the season damn close to to 500. If they do that, we have no shot at all at, at, at Chase. Mm -hmm. So that's where, and I also put kind of put it this way too: if if the Bengals didn't let Whitworth and let Zeitler and all these guys go, we went through all these years of bad play. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have got Joe Burrow. <laughs> right. So well, you see that a lot too. Like uh with the Jets, they they missed out on Kirk Cousins. Obviously, they took some swings with Sam Darnold, but now they have a rookie quarterback and they feel good about and they've got some young talented players like an Elijah Molden. They've got the running back out of North Carolina too that they feel good about. So it's there's definitely encouraging signs with the Bengals and with Joe Burrow's progress. And I think especially with how he grew and responded to challenges. You saw his toughest game of the season was probably that Ravens game where oh, yeah. those blitzes were just coming from everywhere and they couldn't get anything going. But I'll tell you what, man, knowing Joe Burrow and knowing how hard he works, I bet he spent so much of his rehab watching every Ravens oh, yeah. game, oh, yeah. checking out everything they're doing because yeah. as smart as he already was, as much as he already knew and was able to handle mentally as a rookie, in such a short amount of time, he's only gotten smarter. Well, he's I'll only you, built on his IQ, and that's really, really exciting. I'll put it to you this way: I think he plays with a chip on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Another guy who's always played with a chip on his shoulder, 
Oh, you might have heard him. His name's Tom Brady. <laughs> and I'm not comparing Joe Burrow to Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, it's ringing a bell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't get me wrong. But that chip, I think, on Joe, Joe Shore is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because he proved Ohio State wrong that he should have been their starting quarterback. He proved, you know, everybody kept told him, you don't want to go to the Bengals. You don't want to go to the Bengals. It's going to be terrible. Yada, yada, yada. Well, he went to him and he proved that, you know, when he was healthy, we became a, we're on the verge of becoming a better team. Now it's like, oh, Joe Burrow, you know, he's not going to be back till November. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was. He I, was. That's the thing. Was like, oh, I don't know about Joe Burrow. Is he going to even come back healthy? I'm like, guys, if you were paying any attention, you would have seen that he was already out there without a knee brace on, and <laughs> like right. he he doesn't even have a brace on anymore. It's oh. not even like, oh, he's out here just like on the sideline right. encouraging people. Like this man's out here rolling out, like. That yeah, he his the last day of OTS, he's rolling out of the infield, go, going to to I think the left side or right yeah. side. And I think he does what have a little bit of that Tom Brady, where you know someone to maybe bring up a slight or something that somebody said, and he'll just laugh it off and be like, "No, nah, I, I don't even think about that." But then he looks oh, up crap. and he's got that little evil glint in his yeah. eye, like oh. it's it's on my mirror. I look at it every morning and I internalize it, and I go, <laughs> "I hate you," and I'm coming like, "Oh yeah." Well, no, that's what the great ones do. I mean, yeah, Michael Jordan, Michael Jeffrey right. Jordan. If you watch the Last Dance. Right, he they, would they internalize make, that every slight that they can yeah. possibly perceive, you know, is yes. just he would make stuff up. <laughs> right. That guy didn't tell me have a nice day. All right. right, that's when I knew it was personal, you know. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> right. You're going down. I'm taking right. You out. Yeah, but that's that's what you have to have. And right, I guarantee you this this off season has been such a mental. I only want to say a grind, but I think I think Burrow likes it. I really do. I mean, not the rehab or anything, but the 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 book work, the video, the you know, listening to all the, the naysayers and all this stuff, and and I think that the, this team is taking that his personality on, kind of like the Reds mm-hmm. when the Castellanos is playing, they take on his personality. I think this team with the Bengals are taking on Joe's personality. They know they got to put the work in. They know they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. That's why all of them showed up at OTAs. Because and this is one thing I would I can't find out if this is true or not, but I think the Bengals are the only team in the NFL that had every single person at OTAs. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, I mean, that's what that I said. But I, I don't know with everything going on. I would assume that they are definitely one of maybe two or three teams. Like yeah. I, I would say, it would be a small, small percentage, small handful that had everyone many. come with. No questions about contract extensions. No one's holding out with that. No right. one's doing their own thing and saying, oh, well, I don't want to come in or, you know, I didn't get vaccinated or I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. It's everyone, like you said, is on the same page. We're here to work. Well, and that's the thing. Is people got on Zach for cutting it cutting it short when, when the, the – uh, um, when uh, not OTAs, but when the minicamp started. Mm-hmm. But I think that was mostly to get to the 25% that they need of vaccinated players – so when right. they come back here this week or this next week, they're ready to go. They don't have to do right. no Zoom calls, no nothing. They're ready to go. Let's got another one. Rowdy, you're killing it. Love you. Uh, let's see. A t- $10 super chat from him said, uh, if they open up the offense, Burrow can throw for 5,000 yards because the defense being better will get the offense back the ball on the field sooner. More plays, more plays. I Yeah. And that that's gonna be the key to it is we don't want Joe sit on the sideline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think um, obviously being behind 
in some of those early season games was a big factor. But Joe Burrow was, I believe, at the top of the league in dropbacks when he went down with injury. He right. was dropping back more than anybody. He was throwing the ball more than anybody. Mm -hmm. And when you look at those counting stats, obviously – you're going to get more rushing yards if you have a lot of rushing attempts, right? right. Or you're going to have a lot of passing yards if you have a lot of passing attempts. So I don't mean to to necessarily dis, uh, discount his accomplishments through those first seven or eight games, the counting stats that were that were largely impressive because especially even when you're forced to pass the ball, they know you want to pass the ball. Right. So maybe it's even harder for him to achieve those. But I think absolutely he's correct that you could see Joe Burrow continue – not to drop back at the rate that he did, but perhaps just a little bit less to where I don't think it's unreasonable that if they keep the same kind of let's put the ball in Joe's hands, which they should, Yeah, I don't see any reason he couldn't be top three, top five in attempts among quarterbacks this year. Well, I mean, if you look back, and I was kind of watching uh, an old Bengals game. Uh, I watched an uh, old Bengals game, old Bengals-Browns game from 86, another one in 88. Mm-hmm. You should go back and watch those. See how many times Boomer dropped back. And with those those years, we had those two years, 88 and 86, we had the number one ranked offense in the NFL. Now yeah. we did have James Brooks and 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 Icky Woods in 88 and 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 uh uh James Brooks and uh Kenner, Larry Kinnebrew was on that team and Stanley Wilson and but uh Stanford Jennings. They did run the ball, but they threw the ball a ton too. So that and having that uh, that aerial attack just opens things up for that run game. Exactly, defenders out of the box. And that's where I think they, they're probably going to pass. Like I said, to open up the run, and that, that's mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing to throw the ball. Oh. This is a throwing league, right? I mean, everybody kept saying we're going to get Joe Burrow killed, which unfortunately they did. But I think the offensive line's better. I don't think that's going to happen this year, and I really do think Mixon is going to have. I just, I got, I think he's, it's a prove it year for him. I, I really do feel that yeah. he's going to prove that he is in every down back. That, and he's already had his share of injuries in his first couple of years right. in the league. There's no reason to force him to be, he can be that 300 touch guy. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to just run him into the ground and say, right. no, we should run the ball, take it out of Joe Burrow's hands and give Mixon 25, 30 touches in the run game and run him into the ground and let him average three yards a carry because that's the way the AFC North is played. Like, no, make them adjust to you the way that the Chiefs did. The rest of the league is now trying to play catch up to them. Throw the ball to where they have to do something uncomfortable. They want right. to run. Right. You see what happens when the Ravens get behind. They're uncomfortable throwing the ball. Yes. That's the way that, to beat them is well, to get out early. Exactly. And that, that's that's the key, and that's where I hope Lou can do this on his defense. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing with the Browns. I want Jamar Jackson, I want him to beat us. Not running the ball. Throwing it. I want Baker right. Mayfield to beat us throwing the ball. I'll take that all day long right. because we can stop the run. That's the key to stopping the Ravens and, or excuse me, I custom my own show, the Ratbirds and the Clowns. If you can stop them, stop the run, then they have a very, very good chance of beating them. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's really encouraging. Um, I, I, it's just, you got such a talented quarterback and, you don't need to give Mixon 25, 30 carries, or you can find other ways. If he's got 15 or 18 rushes along with three or four catches, but all of those runs are going for five yards a carry instead of two or minus one right. or one right. and a half, 
it's good to be more effective with less touches than to just keep pounding yourself into a wall and saying, eventually this wall is going to break because <laughs> right. sometimes well. you should go around the wall. Like sometimes just go through the door. Like, you know, no, but if I beat my head against this wall long <laughs> enough, there will be a hole there. And it's like, we're right. just go around. Like, right. yeah, there's, right. there's other ways. Right. So yeah, instead of just being like, I'm going to be tougher than you and I'm going to run through the wall, just go around it. Just, right. just be different. Well, just be different. Point in case, and I again, I'll show my age. The 1980, 81 or eighty two Super Bowl, the, the 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 goal line stand that the Sucky Niners had against us. If we had a play action and could have flipped the ball to the end zone or something, we could have got a touchdown there. But nope, we had to run it three straight times, and they stopped us. So I mean, that's the thing. It's like sometimes you don't have to bang your head against the wall. Sometimes you can feel safe. Running. And the running game feels safe, and yeah. dropping back to pass. You're holding your breath. It feels uncomfortable. It feels scary. So when you're at that goal line, you say, hey, we can hand this off three or four times. Eventually, we're going to get in, right? And it's like, or you can challenge yourself and say, hey, they're scared of us. We've got all these weapons. Let's spread them out. Let's create space to where they're looking at, oh, my God, look at all this space. Look at all these gaps. Like, are they about to run? But we're so wide outside of the box right now. Like, what's going on here? And plus, when you run the ball, it takes one bad blown block to blow up the play. Yep. Whereas if you're passing and someone's open in two seconds or less, that pass rush can't even get to you. So if you've got that little spot drop zone, you get a little like Z spot kind of tight end curl in there or a little option route, then you can get that ball out quickly enough. If you've got smart players and guys who have chemistry, trust those guys to be great. It's, exactly. it's no reason that you can't have Mixon back there showing off his pass protecting skills or getting out and trying to get wide and just – Flip him the ball and let him run wide. That's that's as good as a run play. The, now the short now passing game is a run play almost. Yeah, now he's that's what he has to prove he can do. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons Gio is in there a lot on on passing downs was because yeah, you got to open a lid first. <laughs> yeah, that helps. I was a little excited for that drink there. Yeah, I, I've been talking a lot, so you know, after the ramble, but, I got to get a little water too. <laughs> but that's that's the reason Gio is in there a lot because because Mixon has not been known for for pass blocking. So that's mm-hmm. one thing he has got to step up. He's got to prove prove he can do this year. Rowdy, you're killing it. Love it. Uh, DJ oh, yeah. Reader is also elite. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Our D it was so much better uh, up front with him in there. Yeah, and that, that's another key component to this defense is DJ Reader. You got him and Obajo. And the thing that I like about that is you have the rota- – hopefully we'll have the rotation mm-hmm. that I was ex- excited about last year with Gino and and DJ and Mike Daniels. Now it's Open Joby and DJ and Mike Daniels. And actually, do you think that since Gino is still out there, mm-hmm. what what's your thoughts? I I still am holding out hope that Gino might come back to the Bengals this year. I, I don't know. What's your thoughts? Now, that's definitely an interesting question. I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad move. I think um, having that inside perspective of knowing exactly what was going on with him and his health and what he looked like outside of that or um, prior to that injury, if he still had the juice, because we saw how quickly A.J. Green fell off a cliff. Right. And that's not to say that Gino was doing the same thing. Obviously, he was out there playing hurt. But right. again, we don't have the perspective to know how hurt what was – was it 50% injury, 50% age? Especially you've got a guy there who his quick burst is really important. And that's just well, something that's, you do start to lose. That's the thing, too, where I, I think it's it's good to take a chance on that because I don't think he's right. going to cost us a lot of money because no. of the depth that we do have. And if Gino, you know, it's a one-year proof deal, which, I mean, God love Gino. 
He had every reason in the world to not play last year. Absolutely. COVID, his daughter was being bored. He hurt his shoulder, all this stuff. Right. And he still played. That is a guy I want on my team. That That's just because he kind of screwed himself this year, you know, as far as his contract goes. He could have sat out and just said, hey, I'm not going to play because of COVID, yada, yada, yada. Somebody right. would have gave him probably a multi-year contract, maybe not a huge one, but multi-year contract based on what he did, you know, in the past. Right, but that's right. where I'm like, this. Is, I don't think it's a bad move to to try to get him back in the, into the fold. Not at all. No, I, I think that would be a good move, and I think anybody would probably be wise to take that that shot at Geno. I mean, that's going back to that draft. It was a really interesting interior defensive line draft. That was Gerald McCoy and uh, and Dominic Sue's draft, I believe, too. Yeah, and. Gino was the the late round guy, but he may have ended up having the more sustainable excellence stretch. He changed the position, guys. dude. He completely yeah, no, changed it, that position. If yeah. you're if you're not looking at Aaron Donald overshadowing his time there, he might have been the best defensive tackle for five years in the early two thousand twenty tens. If there wasn't a, a Gino Atkins, there wouldn't be an Aaron Donald. I don't think that's. I think Aaron Donald's really, really good. I well, I understand as far no, as no, I understand what you're the, saying. The, the, like that was, that was the, the Geno Atkins mold. Yes, yes, yes exactly. But, yeah, it was. It was just one step farther. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like Super Saiyan three after two. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I've been watching some Dragon Ball Z lately, so yeah. But no, um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, but yeah, no. I, I to go back to what Rowdy was saying. Love DJ Reader. Love him. I think uh, he'd be great. I think adding Geno would be exceptional. Um, Obviously, having that depth, like we said, rotating those guys, having a guy who's familiar, if he wanted to stay in Cincinnati, still felt like he had a good relationship with the team. I think that would be a good move for both sides, uh, unless he feels that he can get more guaranteed money elsewhere, which he may right. be able to get. You know, A team out there has a defensive tackle go down in training camp, maybe – I don't know, God forbid, you know, like Chris Jones goes down or something, and Geno Atkins may not be – the, the premier guy, but he may be a guy that they could get if they yeah. feel he's healthy and suddenly they feel desperate and they say, hey, we'll give you a one-year, $8 million deal fully guaranteed. Right. That's going to be better than maybe, you know, he gets a two-year, $4 True. million dollar from the Bengals, which True. we probably know is only going to be half guaranteed, right? Right, right. So right. That's true. I hope he makes a good move for him. Would love yeah. to see him back at stripes. Obviously, you don't want to see him or AJ or Carlos, anybody go, but sometimes it is best for the organization and for the player to kind of part ways. And I yeah. hope he's doing whatever is best for his family. Exactly. And financial it, security. Exactly. All right. It's almost seven o'clock. It's got, got a couple of comments here and I'll let you get out of here, man, dude, I can, That's all right, man. I can, I can sit here and talk to you for, Hours about the bank. Oh yeah, we can keep rambling about the <laughs> we, we nobody might be watching. We're just we're just talking to each other. All right, right Steve. Uh, nobody wants to curve their optimism and discuss how the linebackers and have um what is that armored? Uh, so it looks like he's saying that uh, nobody wants to curb the optimism and discuss how with the linebacking core and the state that it is. And also having Anarumo as the DC, oh, that oh, maybe Jesus. they could end up being uh, a, a, a sucky defense. defense <laughs> right. Really, the DBs you feel good about, but there's such a hole at the linebacker spot yes. that you don't feel good about, it, right? And I think um, the linebackers. I, I think the linebacking spot. I think we're good. I'm concerned about the depth. I think Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gaither are going to be good this year. I think they're going right. to take a step up. So I feel like they've got better talent there than they have, especially athleticism. They, that's the one thing is even if they're not uh, extremely talented or not productive this year, 
they're still significantly more athletic than the Josh Bynes kind of guys that they've been trotting out these last couple of years. Right. Um, obviously, you're looking at guys like Jermaine Pratt, hoping they take a step forward again. Um, what, hey, real quick, what's your thoughts on Jermaine Pratt? Because he does kind of – I'm not – I'm not over enthusiastic about him, but I'm not saying he's awful. But what, what's your thoughts on Pratt? He has his flashes where he'll have good games where it's like, hang on a second. Jermaine Pratt was graded in the 80s in that game. Like, you know, but they're they're too far and few and far between, right. which they're if we're putting the the hierarchy of the defense right in terms of value in the positions, if we're talking about safety, edge rusher, pass rush, like linebacker is probably near the bottom if we start thinking about, okay, safety and corner are giving up long touchdowns and are very valuable for shutting down the receivers. Linebackers are important for stopping the run, which is a little bit less valuable and kind of that intermediate area, which obviously you don't want to give up passes in the immediate area and just get diced over the middle all the time, but you don't want to get torched deep. If you're going to give up short pass after short pass, okay, that's, you'd rather have a hole at linebacker than a hole at secondary is basically what I'm trying to say, right? Or a hole at pass rusher. So, if they do have the improved D-line depth to where they have the pass rush, they get the average play from their secondary across the board because we talked earlier about the depth they have to where if guys are having down years or get injured, they will have other guys to rely on. Mm-hmm. When they find that rotation and get that right, I think that's going to help the linebackers. But plus, linebacker is just a really freaking hard position to play in the NFL for what you're asked to do because right. it's – okay. Run up and tackle Derrick Henry in the in this in this gap right here. Okay, now that you did that, I want you to sprint out and cover Alvin Kamara in the flat. And now that you did that, I want you to cover George Kittle on the seam route or this little crosser going over here. Like it's well, on top of that, Logan Wilson, he's he's gonna be in charge of calling the calling the, the, the defensive calls this year, too. So he's right. got that on his plate too. Exactly. And I think that's encouraging because that's you, you saw Logan Wilson have his spots last year, too, mm-hmm. looking good. And I think he can take a step forward. And Akeem Davies Gaither was definitely kind of a, a a bit of a project. He did a little bit of the overhang role. He played a lot of slot corner in college, basically, right. as right. that linebacker. So not necessarily true linebacker. Hopefully that right. athleticism. Right. We saw a little bit of that versatility as a pass right. rusher that he did offer. And hopefully we see that that experience and coverage, the ability to rush the passer, unlock a little bit of kind of a dynamic element for Luana Rumo to play with to where they can play with where the pressure is coming from and generate more pressure that way to help the defensive line. But um, I know I've been rambling, and this is a roundabout way of saying that if you're going to be bad at one spot on your defense, linebacker is probably the spot or like interior defensive line, just in the hierarchy of what we're saying of importance of the positions. Um, But there's also young guys that while they have not been consistent, there's reason to believe that they can at least take a step forward or find more consistent play or a higher level of play with another year maturing a little bit. And also hopefully Lou Anarumo having his guys to where there's not those injuries or LaShawn Sims that are giving up league high number of touchdowns and only 500 snaps. So I'll go ahead and let Jeff add his two cents on that. I just don't want you just don't want to uh, forget about Marcus Bailey too. He, right. he, he he's he graded part of so well, and yes. he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Which everybody has to remember, he wasn't healthy last year. He was still injured from college. That's the reason he dropped in the draft, and the Bengals were able to get him. So he could be also right. another key to this defense. And and if they could, I'll just put it this way: if they can hit on all three of those guys, that's a hell of a draft in twenty nineteen. You don't even have to, though. You've given yourself three young linebackers here where 
they don't all have to be elite. They don't right. all even have to be average. You just need one or two guys because, like we talked about with Ricardo Allen, you're playing nickel almost eighty yep. percent of the time now or more. You're in this spot where you only have two linebackers. So if you have Logan Wilson out there as, as your middle linebacker, he's playing as the calls. If you're looking at your weak side linebacker, sometimes that might be Ricardo Allen, or if you rotate Von Bell in there for some reason, or you put Akeem Davis Gaither there for his ability, what he can do as a, a coverage defender and also as a pass rusher. There's ways that you can utilize these guys to their strengths. Maybe you put Pratt out there for his uh, ability and base downs. There's different ways you can use these guys, and you only need one to be good and another one to be just NFL average, right? right. Like again, we again complete, not elite. We don't need Fred right. Warner or Bobby Wagner in the middle of the defense. I'll, I'll point to you this one. I've said this on my show. Mm -hmm. I, this defense reminds me. Well, I don't say reminds me, but I think. Like you said, they don't have to be elite. They just have to compete. If they are anywhere close to what the 05 defense was, which mm -hmm. that wasn't an elite defense, they were very opportunistic defense. But what they did is they kept the Bengals in the games, got the ball back to Carson Palmer, and that offense, because in 05, that offense was awesome. I right. think this year has a has a very good chance to resemble the 05 season. We already got the knee injury out of the way, so we don't have to <laughs> we don't have to do that at the end of this year again. That's already been done. But I just I'm just saying I just see a lot of comparison to the, from that 05 team to this team. I just I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but I really do think that's what this, I think. There's a lot of parallels, man. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't think you're I don't think you're crazy at all. And that's the thing is if this that's the thing, right? Is the the defense has not been near the top or even near the middle of the league in terms of generating pressures and sacks in the last couple of seasons. But turnovers has been another spot where Jesse Bates has been able to produce. He's been able to also produce a lot of pass breakups. But mm -hmm. outside of Bates, there just hasn't been a lot of ball production. Right. So if you can find a way to force those – yes, you can be a porous defense and give up 60 or 70 yards, but if you're ending that with an interception or a forced fumble and you get the ball back, well, shoot, who right. cares about those 70 yards you gave up, right? Well, so, I mean, Logan Wilson had, he, what, two two last year? Davis right. Gaither missed – And he was in position least, for a couple yeah. more too. Yeah. Oh, Davis Gaither missed at least two of them right in his hands last year. Right. I mean, and that's – yeah, as the game slows down for him, I think right. he's going to get more comfortable with that too. And he is a very good athlete. So I think he has the capability to be one of those explosive guys. But we'll see if he continues with his development. I think he's a really intriguing piece this season. But it's it's definitely – you want to see those turnovers and those sacks increase. And obviously getting pressure is going to influence more bad throws, which is hopefully going to get more interceptions, right? But um, forcing those turnovers, you'd like to see them be able to generate at least more of those. And I think they are going to be able to do that. Yeah, and that, that, that comes with uh, where I think that they are going to generate pressure mm -hmm. on, on, on the quarterback – and it might not be elite pressure, but it'd be good enough pressure. And I think the secondary that, that we have now is going to be good enough to to knock down more more balls than we did last year. I, I just think we have – and especially with Hilton coming off the edge with the oh, – I cannot – No, I'll start talking all day about Mike Hill. I, I cannot <laughs> wait to get to, to see that. Let's, oh. let's get this this uh, super chat here. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll start talking and then we'll get the <laughs> Rowdy's, Rowdy's uh, 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 super chat here. Again, appreciate you, Rowdy. $5 Super Chat. It's awesome. Uh, if our offense averages 10 more points per game than our defense allows four points less per game average, then we become at least a 10-win season. Yeah, and that's not a big leap there. We're I think with a healthy Joe Burrow and what you've added to the offense and Jamar Chase, that no, that's not. And like we talked about, that four points right there, if you're just allowing one less – hold him to a field goal. Instead yeah. of a instead of a touchdown for one right. 
one possession or get that one turnover because you can go back to Chiefs ball like we were talking about where if your offense can score constantly to at least put points on the board, giving that one possession back is huge. In every drive with a kick. That's why I like to say in every drive with a kick, either a field goal or an extra point. You mean every drive with a kick, you're going to win. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) No, I like it. I I was just, yeah, I I got a little excited there because, yeah, no, it's (laughs) – it's it's definitely again it doesn't have to be great and that's something that as much as we we believe building a good defense is a great obviously winning teams have good defenses right. but not just PFF football outsiders everyone and especially if you just think about the nature of secondary play it varies year to year a lot a lot of it's about opportunity timing placement quarterback has to throw a bad ball for you to get to it intercepted it's got to right. glance off hand sometimes like there's a bunch of random stuff that happens on interceptions and plays like that to where even guys like Jalen Ramsey have like slightly above average years as opposed to elite years right right it's just there's a lot of up and down so with defense what people have kind of recommended is a lot like the Bengals approach where we don't know which corner is going to be good, so right. we're going to sign five of them. And then <laughs> right. two or three of them aren't good, but two of them are. Right. And we've got three good corners plus Jesse Bates, and we don't have to worry about it. And one of them is Mike, Mike Hilton come off that edge. Oh, I love I, the versatility. I it up, he, dude. You got too, yeah, you got too he, excited. Go ahead. Go okay, ahead. <laughs> so yeah, no. He has just been tops in pressure rate and defensive stops each of his first four or five seasons. Like, he's – his ability to affect the run game, the pass game is both a pass rusher and in pass coverage. He's been one of the best in the slot and since he's entered the league and right. really is just an underrated defender. And it continues the slot and the nickel slot wide receiver and the nickel defender continue to be undervalued in the NFL to where you can get these high quality guys like a Tyler Boyd. The top wide receivers are making $20 million a year. He's on an 11 per year. Right. I mean, that that's what I'm saying. You've got the guys on rookie deals for T. Higgins and him, and you've got a Boyd on $11 million a year. you got got right. Jonah Williams on a rookie deal still. I mean – I'm saying now's the time. It ain't next it's year. It's so now. exciting to see they have these rookie contracts mm-hmm. and all these elite positions to where, again, it affords them the money to say, screw it. We yeah. have the ability to go give DJ Reader whatever the heck he wants to get him. Right. If we want to get a Joe Thune and we feel good about where he is health-wise, we can get him. And if not, oh well. But you know what? If Riley Reef doesn't work out this year or he works out and then someone else wants to give him more money, well, I'll tell you what. Looking at the – I keep pounding the table about tackles. Left yeah. tackles make more than right tackles for whatever reason. Almost yeah. the top ten when you look at them there's and average them together, there's almost an $8 million difference for no reason. You can go buy. I think it's right because back. of the movie The Blind Side that 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 did it all. The Blind Side, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, quarterbacks are looking to their left all the freaking time to make their reads, but yeah, it's The Blind Side. Whatever. Anyways, all right. So basically, they still have that misconception, right? Of the Blind Side, the left tackle is more important. That's your pass protecting tackle. Well, shoot, right. you're TJ Watts watching for Blind Side. I mean, it's, that's you've got guys moving all over now at this point, yeah. you know. And so it's take advantage of that draft your left tackle, save the extra $8 million, and now you've got rookies at these premium positions, like we said. Now you can go, hey, the top right tackle in the league is making like $15, $18 million. I can go pay the top right tackle free agent, right? Who maybe the second or third, and I can feel fine about paying him $13 or $14 million a year because 
I have a rookie left tackle. Right. I have a rookie quarterback. I have a rookie wide receiver and a rookie wide mm-hmm. receiver and a slot receiver on an $11 million deal. So you can go spend that money with no problem with exactly. without regret and say, hey, let's really push the chips to the table. And I hope to see the Bengals do that in this upcoming offseason as their window opens, as you yes. referenced earlier. Yeah, dude, I'm fired up. I'm 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 ready for I football too. season. You got me going, man. Dude, I'm I'm so ready. To, I can't wait till next next Saturday is gonna be fun. I can we can actually go watch the Bengals actually in right live live and in person. They might be not doing a whole lot, but I don't care. It's gonna be football. It's gonna be fun. I can't right. wait. Uh, anyway, Evan, dude, you are awesome. It's seven ten. We've been talking for God knows how long. I'm not very good at, at math, so it's been a long time. But I appreciate you. Tell everybody where they can follow you and what you got going on, and you take it from oh, there. Oh, hey, thanks for having me on, man. Like I said, always appreciate it. Happy to come on anytime. Uh, talking Bengals is always a good time. You know, I was a fan first, so, you exactly. know, it's it's always a good time talking about the whole team. But uh, definitely everybody go check out pff.com. Uh, a lot of good fantasy stuff coming out right now. If you use the promo code SAVE40, all caps, SAVE40, you get 40% off a uh, annual or monthly subscription right now. So you really can't beat that. Go ahead, get yourself a subscription. You can place a couple bets using Green Line. You have all the game-by-game grades. You have everything you can need to dominate your fantasy league. And if your betting doesn't work out, it's going to help you win your fantasy leagues to at least make your money back from your subscription and then some. So check out the website, pff.com. Also, look at uh, there's a great number of podcasts. Like I said, Chris Collinsworth podcast, two for one drafts with Mike Renner and Austin Gale is an absolute riot. Always some good comedy mixing with great analysis. And of course, the PFF NFL show with Steve and Sam would definitely recommend you guys check all that out. Exactly, man. Well, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. You've given me plenty of time to talk, and it, it's it's a, it's always a blast. So. Who day, brother? I'm gonna have you on again. This has been a lot of fun. You have go go eat something. It's like seven o'clock. It's past dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's about dinner time, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. All right, brother. Who day, man? You take care. Take it easy, buddy. See ya. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was a lot of fun. I know we we are on for a long, long time tonight. And if you guys have been hanging out watching the whole time, I appreciate you. Now, do me a favor. Um, the Bengals tweeted this out yesterday, and I kind of put that this on my. Um, do I have a picture of it? Let me see here. Uh, on my Twitter feed to possibly try to help me out to get yes, yeah, nope, that's not it. I don't have it. Okay, uh, to to find out who your favorite podcast or where you get not favorite, but where you get your information on Bengals content and stuff. And if you guys don't mind, do me a favor, go out there and fill it out. Put whoever put you know your favorite guys on there. Please put me on there because I would like. I'm hoping maybe that could give me help me to get some more Bengal content, give me access to players, front office people, something like that, to try to get it out to you guys as much as I can. It just helps us show out and stuff like that. So if you guys can go there, click on the link. It's it's on my uh, Twitter line. Uh, it, it's on the live the video clip I did to announce what was going on, on the show today. It's on there. Please make sure you guys go fill it out. Put Sports Strawberry Ice on there. Put Locked On Bengals. Put uh, Bengal Gym. Put all those guys on there. But please make sure you put me on there. Uh, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it because I'm trying like crazy to get more Bengals content, more Bengals players, and it's just me. I'm just a guy with a YouTube channel, so I'm trying as hard as I can. But let's get to the Facebook groups that let me live stream. I appreciate every single one of you guys. They are Hootay Nation, Bengals Nation. Now, Bengals Hootay Nation changed their name. They are now Hootay 
Legion. So, Houdé Legion, Cincinnati Bengals, the jungle, Bearcat Country, the Ohio State Bucknuts. And then you got the Ice Bar, which is my show page. It's just a fun virtual bar. We go there, hang out, talk sports, have some fun. You can follow me on all my social media platforms, all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Twitter handle is at Jeff A. Trenopole. TikTok is at Iceman90. I'll be pulling the sound off later on, and I know we're, we're almost at two hours here. So it's been a long show, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of information. So if you guys missed any of it, you can watch again on the channel, or you can listen to it on the podcast, which, like I said, I'll be putting up later on tonight on BeanPod, Spotify, Apple iTunes, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you like, rate, and review. Download it. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Do the same thing on the YouTube channel, Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm at 1,242 subscribers. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Rowdy every day. You are awesome. I appreciate the Super Chats. That was great tonight. I love Every single one of you guys, you guys want to sit there and watch me talk. It's great. This has been my dream to do this forever. So, other than that, as my man, Jeremy D's Nuts Dimebag Dean likes to say, remember one thing and one thing only, and that is you don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati, so act like it. Who day? We're getting closer to football season. And that's just sports, baby. See ya!